الحمد لله الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد مفتاح باب رحمة الله عدد ما في علم لا صلاة والسلام دائمين بدوام ملك الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن والاه وأشهد أنه الله الذي لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إلها واحدا وربا شاهدا ونحن له مسلمون وأشهد أن سيدنا وحبيبنا وكرة عيوننا محمد عبده ورسوله أرسله الله بالهدى ودين الحق ليظهر على الدين كله ولو كره المشركون أما بعد عباد الله إني مصيكم ونفس إياي بتقوى الله It is the taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that should be the focus of our religious practice and this is the greatest commodity of all that we can expose ourselves to achieving and to realizing in all of the detailed teachings of Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in one way or another all relate to the taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And from the great blessing of this deen, the wisdom of this deen remains beyond the time of our Prophet ﷺ, throughout the different ages, throughout the different epochs, until this very day and age, you and I still have guidance, and clear guidance, in fact. And our Prophet ﷺ reminded us that he left us upon the clear white path. تَرَكْتُكُمْ عَلَى الْمَحَجَّةِ الْبَيْضَةِ And normally when we travel, that is in pre-modern travel, when you did not oftentimes have enough light, our Prophet emphasized, لَيْلَهَا كَنَّهَارِهَا Its night is like its day. In all of our different states, in all different times, even when other people think, that you might not have guidance, know that there is guidance in the mahajjah, the way that our Prophet left for us wasallam. And as was mentioned, our Prophet is the embodiment of the Surat al-Mustaqeem. He is the most perfect manifestation of what it means to be upright. And that Surat al-Mustaqeem that is finer than a hair and sharper than a sword and extremely subtle, and everything that it is that we do here in this world as those decisions manifest for us, our Prophet was the greatest example of what it means to follow the straight path. And this is why all of the acts of the Prophets are limited to two categories. They either are doing something that is an obligation or they're doing something that is recommended. All of their different acts ultimately fall into one of these two categories. And so the guidance of our Prophet ﷺ is not only comprehensive, but it is for every time. It is for every place, and it is for every person by virtue of his universality and his being sent to all of the world ﷺ. And so we know that every time has its difficulties. 
Every time is different. Every time has its challenges. The Prophet faced numerous challenges. The Tabi'een faced numerous challenges. The generation after them and every subsequent generation until this day and age faced challenges. And even though in some ways those challenges might resemble each other, archetypally speaking, in other ways they manifested differently. And what is important here is that in any given time, you and I learn to understand the time in which we live and the unique challenges, if there are any, of that very time. And no obligation is greater on people of knowledge, on scholars, than to clarify to the Ummah of the Prophet ﷺ how it is that they can conceive of and understand their deen in any given time. And then secondarily, how it is that they can implement their deen in that specific time, i.e. what should they focus on? How do they understand the essential message of the Qur'an? How do they understand the underlying teachings of our Prophet And this is something that you and I have to have a concern to be a means to have happen. Because these type of people that have these type of qualifications to do what was mentioned, do not come out of a vacuum. All growth requires an environment. Seeds don't just grow in the air. They don't grow on asphalt. They have to be planted. And they have to be planted a certain way. And the soil has to have certain characteristics. And they have to be cultivated and taken care of in a certain way. So ultimately, whatever type of seed was planted will serve its purpose whether it's bearing fruit or whatever else that one would expect from that seed that grows into that plant or tree. And so, Imam al-Haddad has this amazing statement where he says about the reality of how this deen is preserved. And you could see this in a sense as stemming from the concept that we have of tajdeed renewal and all of the microwaves, if you will, that it manifests in every time and in every generation. And he said, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُنْتِقُ أُلَمَاءَ كُلِّ زَمَانٍ بِمَا يُوَافِقُ أَهْلَهُ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspires the people of knowledge, literally causes them to speak. The ulama, the scholars, or you could say the people of knowledge, in every time, with what the people of that time need. Be with what is suitable for the people of that time. And we're going to get into this in a little bit more depth. Because that's not as easy as it might seem. Because every time has its challenges. And so the question then is, how can you adhere to the essential meanings of the Qur'an and the sunnah of our Prophet ﷺ in any given time. But before we get into that, if you've spent a lot of time talking to Muslims, you all might have family members like this. If you visit different communities, if you engage people, you will find oftentimes their perspective is really built upon how it is they view 
one of the perennial questions of our time, which is, why is the ummah of the Prophet ﷺ in the state that it's in? And if you really listen very carefully to what people are saying, a lot of their perspectives that they have on a number of different issues get back to their perspective on this particular issue and get back to how it is that they answer that question. Why we're in the state that we're in. And on one hand, it's very important for us to be positive and optimistic that when we see all of the different religions, how they clashed with modernity, our teachers have clearly said that we have fared much better than any other religion, no doubt. At the turn of the 14th century, in roughly corresponding to the 19th century, we were only about 12 or 13% of the world's population. And now that we're well into the 21st century, we are that roughly one-fourth. So in terms of numbers, we fared fairly well. In terms of preservation as well, which is key for the continuity and the integrity of this religion and its sustainability long-term and allowing for it ultimately to grow, we have also fared very well. We know that what it is that our Prophet believed about Allah, we know how he used to practice, and we know that the character traits that he came with, this is a blessing from Allah Ta'ala. What other religion on the face of this earth can say definitively how their prophet believed or to know definitively how it is their prophet practiced? We know with excruciating detail different things that our prophet said at different times inside of his house, outside of his house. And just look at some of the longer books that get in the realm of 10 to 12, maybe up to 20 volumes that detail all of the various sunnahs of our Prophet ﷺ. What a blessing from Allah Ta'ala. In other words, the organic tree of Islam is still alive. It is deeply rooted. And it continues to give fruit as a result. By the leave of its Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is a blessing. And we always have to remember that. While we look in and constructively criticize the Ummah of our Prophet ﷺ. But we have to be very careful because oftentimes our critiques are not really coming from a heart that is strong with Iman. It is oftentimes coming from a heart that has a deep-seated inferiority complex. And thus, it's not really irrational that judgment that is being made, nor is it really a tenable position that one is putting forward. And there's a lot of details that come in this conversation. And the point is not to go in all of those details, but in general, you will hear people say, on this topic and to answering this question of why we're in this condition that we're in, is that it usually gets back to three things. The first thing you usually will hear people will say, and these are people that tend to have more modernist or even secular leanings, is that they will point out that we have failed to take the means. And that's a long discussion on why that in terms of what they mean. This is a kalimat al-haq yuridu biha batil. It is a word of truth, 
But what they mean by that is false. In other words, there are some Muslims that wish we actually caused the Industrial Revolution. We were the masters of agrarian society in the pre-industrial world. But actually, from the bounty of Allah, we did not cause the Industrial Revolution or anything that happened after it. The technological revolution or any of the other tendencies that are happening right now. And this is from the blessing of Allah. We did not cause the Renaissance and everything that happened after that. And everything that led to and all of these different terms that are thrown out there that relate to the trajectory of primarily Western European societies that have then been blanketed over the rest of the world. We have to understand this in depth. This is very important. And it suffices us for now to acknowledge that yes, we have at times failed to take the means because we've been required to take the means. However, that is not the only important factor in this equation. Another, and this is the second, is that, and you will tend to hear people that are more of a traditionalist type lean that point towards this, is that in many ways that we've abandoned the teachings of the Qur'an and the sunnah of our Prophet ﷺ. We know through the ver- verses in the Qur'an and the hadith of our Prophet ﷺ, if you do certain things, there will be consequences. We know this. Numerous that narrations that have come in the Qur'an that have come on the tongue of our Prophet ﷺ that indicate if you do this, this will happen. That relate to this idea of abandoning the teachings of our Prophet ﷺ. And this is no doubt at the very heart of the matter. And just as it's a mistake to deny that, it's also a mistake to that deny that the means don't also have something to do with it. Because they do. And as believers, even though at the very heart of the matter it gets back to our relationship with Allah as individuals and then extend it out until you reach the whole ummah. This is the heart of the matter. That's not enough in and of itself because we've been commanded to take the means. And so while recognizing that our relationship with Allah is at its heart, we also have to be people who take the means and to do outwardly what it is that we can to rectify the situation of not only the Muslim community, but all of the other people that live on the face of this earth. And then there's a third factor that sometimes is becomes misconstrued when it's presented, but it's an important point to mention when we try to develop a holistic perspective on this matter. And this relates to the end of time. We know through prophecy that certain things are going to happen at the end of time. And this doesn't mean that we become fatalists. This doesn't mean that we don't put in any effort as a result. But it's very important to understand from the standpoint of haqiqah, the standpoint of reality, there are certain trends that are going to happen at the end of time. This has been decreed. And understanding the reality of things whereby which that it gives us wisdom to position ourselves in relation to what it is that we can do does not negate the fact that we will be taken to account for what it is that we can do and what it is that we choose to do. They both go hand in hand. They are two sides of the same coin. And collectively, we need to 
understand the root prob- cause of why we're in the situation we're in as in one way or another relating to all three of these. And the third, of course, is that standpoint of reality, which is important. Because this gives us the ability to understand there are different approaches that we take based upon the different circumstances that we face. And I'm going to highlight just a few, and there's of many, a hadith of our Prophet ﷺ that indicate this. The first is a hadith in Abu Dawood, where our Prophet ﷺ said, Indeed, before the hour, there will be fitan, there will be tribulations, like the successive darkness of night. A man will enter into the morning as a believer, and by nightfall, he will be a disbeliever. And there will be people who that enter into the night as believers, and by morning they will be a disbeliever. Think about the difficulty of this time. Someone has iman in the morning, and the fitna is so great, by nightfall they lost their faith. What happened that caused them to lose their faith in that short period of time? Our Prophet is telling us about a phenomenon that's very real. And those that do community work know the time that we're living in has been prophesied by Rasulullah. But what did our Prophet say? And again, you have to understand these ahadith in light of the others. He said, Al Qaidu fiya khairun min al Qa'im. The one who's sitting during this time or during these circumstances is better than the one who's standing. Al Mashi khairun min al Sa'i. The one walking is better than the one running. And this is a metaphor for degrees of activity. And what did our Prophet then say? Break your bows. And break the strings. Cut the strings on your bows. And break your swords on rocks. And then look. And if someone comes to take your life, dukhila, literally, someone enters upon you, i.e., to take your life, then be like the better of the two sons of Adam. This is a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ in Abu Dawood. And in normal circumstances, we speak about something very differently. But... Uthman bin Affan understood this hadith. And this is why that Sayyidina Hassan and Hussein were guarding him outside. And then he told them to stop. Because he knew that were he to have that levied an army to put that fitna to rest, it would have led to a greater problem. That Sayyidina Hassan bin Ali understood this meaning. And this is why he tanazal an al-hukum. And this is why that he left it for Muawiyah. He understood this meaning. To preserve the shedding of blood amongst the believers and how serious it was. And another hadith that our Prophet ﷺ, that he said, and the Sahaba who narrates it said, is that while we were seen sitting with the Prophet ﷺ, he mentioned fitna. And then he said, This is hard to translate. But essentially, 
You could say in a simple way, if people stop fulfilling their promises and they, st- and they start taking their trust lightly, and marijat here means fasadat, means that people no longer fulfill their promises, their obligations, their contracts, their pledges, their responsibilities, all of these different meanings of ahad, is that everything becomes corrupted. They'll lie to your face, so they'll say one thing one day and a different thing a different day. And then they no longer have amana. They no longer are trustworthy. And in another narration, we know that some people, that the dominant, at the end of time, untrustworthy people will be deemed trustworthy, and treacherous people will be deemed trustworthy. And if you don't see this happening around you right now, then I don't know what world you're living in. And so then what did our Prophet say? وَكَانُوا هَكَذَا وَشَبَّكَ بَيْنَ أَصَابِعِهِ He said, then people will be like this. In other words, just as your fingers, when they become interlaced, it seems like it's all mixed up. People won't know who are the people that they should be spending time with, who are the people they should avoid. There will be confusion. But then, for this blessed Sahaba, Amr Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As, he asked the Prophet the question, that what should I do during that time that may my soul be ransomed for you? And look what our Prophet said. Ilzam baytak. Stay in your house. Wamlik alayka lisanak. And control your tongue. Wa khutbi ma ta'rif. Do what you know to be good. Wa da' ma tunkar. And avoid what you know to be bad. Wa alayka bi amri khasati nafsik. And. Only be concerned about your own self. And leave the general condition of people. This is a hadith of our Prophet ﷺ. And there's many, many more. I mention these hadith to point out that we have to understand the time in which we live. There are certain things that we can do and certain things that we can't do. And there's one other hadith that I would like to mention before briefly pointing to what really is our way out and what it is that we need to work towards as individuals, as a community, and as an ummah. And this hadith is narrated in the collection of Imam Ahmad in his Musnad. And it states, And an urwa is a handle. It's like a handle that you put on a bucket. But one of the good ways I think we can render this in English is to think of it as a ladder. Because it's also the rung of a ladder. And so that our Prophet is saying, the rungs of the ladder of Islam will break, rung after rung. Every time a rung breaks, people will hang on to the rung after it. Because if you use the metaphor of a ladder, you can think of it in terms of a hierarchy, which is implied in the hadith. And then what did our Prophet say? The first to break is governance. We know that the Khilafah Rashid only lasted 30 years. We know that. And this is why, that if you look at the number of years with the months, Sayyidina Bukr was 2 years, Sayyidina Umar was 10 years in some, Sayyidina Uthman was 12 years in some, Sayyidina Ali was 4 years and 6 months. There was six months, it was 29 years in six months at the point that Sayyidina Hassan bin Ali, who was really the fifth caliph, not Sayyidina Umar bin Abdul Aziz. 
is that it was right when that six months ended that he sallamaha li Muawiyah, that he passed it on to Muawiyah. Because he knew what the Prophet said, sallallahu He didn't want to be a part of anything after the 30 years that was not rashida, that was not rightly guided. So the first of them to break is hukum, governance. وَآخِنُهُنَّ الصَّلَاةِ And the last of the rungs to break is prayer. Think about how rich this hadith is and how you could spend volumes commenting on it. Politics, it's not that Islam doesn't have something to say about politics. It does. Politics was a part of the deen. And to some degree that it still is mostly in theory now. But if you look at from the most outermost dimension of politics to the most personal dimension of prayer, then there's a series of other rungs that broke down over time. The first one to break was governance. The last to break is prayer. And so you can then attempt, not in a definitive way, but in a dhanni way, to fill in the blanks and trace that through Islamic history, how that happened. And now some ulama are doing this in a very detailed way that it becomes very helpful to understand how this relates to our specific time. But the meaning here is, and what is understood, if you try to hang on to a rung that is broken, and what is meant by hanging on to a rung is that you make that the foundation of your conception of the religion or your practice, you're going to fall. And you're going to get yourself in trouble. And this is why we need people in every time to clarify to us, rightly guided scholars, people of knowledge, how it is that we should understand our deen and what it is that we should spend our times doing. And the vast majority of people now are actually afflicted with apathy, but those who actually really care that you see all different types of extremes as a result of their not understanding this ever so important point. And the three factors that are really needed in order to really give guidance for this matter, which of course is hard to even fit into a short khutbah, but the first of course is knowledge of this deen. And it's not just surface level knowledge of this deen. Anyone can read a pamphlet. Anyone can learn basic Arabic and just read a page of an Arabic book. But real sacred knowledge, where you go into the depths and you start to realize not everyone is the same when it comes to knowledge. There are people that people consider to be scholars, but they're actually basic students of knowledge. Real scholarship takes 40 to 50 years. It's not something that happens overnight. Real scholarship takes time. You have to expend an enormous amount of time. Mastering the matun and all the various texts is just the very first phase. That's supposed to be done by the time you're a teenager. By the time you're 17 or 18, you're supposed to, if you would have done it in a traditional manner, finished all of the motun. Those are the keys to knowledge. And those are prerequisites for further study. But that's just the beginning. Then going further and to really understand why the scholars developed the positions that they did in their particular times with all of the different circumstances. Avoiding the two tendencies of being too literal or being too liberal. 
and always finding that balance in the middle where you respond to the challenges of your time, but you're not negatively affected or impacted by them. That's not easy to do. That requires studying in depth. So knowledge of the deen, and a lot more could be said about that, but also it requires knowledge of the time in which we live. I would put forth definitely that someone could not consider to be a scholar in our time if they don't understand, at least in a general way, the major tendencies of our time. How could you? If you don't understand the nature of the time, how could you give a religious judgment? If you don't understand the time in which we live, at least in a general way. And yes, it is confusing. But if you spend time learning the tendencies of our time, then you will have a very different perspective on how it is that you apply the deen to the time in which we live. This is a prerequisite. And we have to be at least generally aware of the tendencies of our time. But then there's a third component. And perhaps this is the most important. You have to have inner sight and connection to the righteous, the awliya of Allah Ta'ala. That having a strong intellect is not enough. Being pious is absolutely important, but it's not enough. You have to have inner sight. You have to have basira. You have to have a connection to the people of Allah that have a direct connection to their teachers all the way back to our Prophet ﷺ. Without this, you very well might make a mistake. Because this is what will open up the door for you to understand certain things that can't be understood with the intellect alone. This will open up the door for you to have a perspective that is informed by things that the intellect itself cannot come to. And it is very important if you're going to lay down a methodology for the time in which we live and just think about the people who came before us. That why did Sayyidina Omar value so much the sharh, sadr, the expansion of the heart of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq to join, to gather the Qur'an? Why was it that Sayyidina Uthman bin Affan had the dream of the Prophet ﷺ, which was part of the inward dimension of him taking the position that he did when the Prophet told him, you're going to break your fast with me today. Why was it that Sayyidina Hussein also saw a dream about that he was going, indicated he was going to meet the Prophet ﷺ soon and keep going? Why was it that Imam Ahmed was informed about the position that he took about the creation of the Qur'an? Is that someone saw the Prophet and said, Bashir Ahmed, and give him glad tidings that he's going to attain paradise for an affliction that afflicts him. How do you understand that this is that inward dimension that helps inform stances that they took and may gave, helped inform opinions that it is that they had? And so that if we bring this all together, the purpose of this is for us to understand. In order for us really to respond to the challenges of our time, we have to have wisdom. We have to have religious guidance that stems from individuals who have plunged into a depth of the knowledge of this deen, and then who also know our time very well, and then through their piety and connection to the righteous, they are people of inner sight. If they're not in of themselves, at least they're connected to people of inner sight. And when all of this combines, it will allow us to do our very best. And this is what is required. And this is how we relate to that last dimension of understanding the divine decree. You can only do what it is that you're commanded to do. 
and there might be certain things that you might not be able to change, but at least that you will die with the right intention, doing the right thing in a way that is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is what is desired. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq wa kullu qawli hadha wa astaghfirullah li wa lakum huli jameeh muslimin fastaghfiruhu bin rahim. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin, Ashraf al-Anbiya al-Mursaleen, wa ala alihi tayyibin al-Tahirin, wa sahabati akramin, wa tabiyyunu bihsani yumiddin, wa alayna ma'amufin birahmatika ya arhamar rahimin, wa shalom an la ilaha illallah, wa shalom anna muhammad rasulullah, ma ba'd ya ibadallah, inni musikum wa nafsi iyaya bitakullah, inna allah wa malaikatu yusalluna ala al-Nabi, يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على سيدنا إبراهيم وعلى آل سيدنا إبراهيم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على سيدنا إبراهيم وعلى آل سيدنا إبراهيم فالعالمين إنك حميد مجيد ورضي الله تعالى عن سادات الخلفاء الرشدين أبي بكر عمر ثمان وعلي وعلى جميع أهل بيت الرسول الله المطهرين من أرجاس وعلينا معمفين برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين اللهم اغفر للمؤمنين والمؤمنات المسلمين والمسلمات الأحياء منهم والأموات يا أول الأولين يا آخر الآخرين يا ذا الكوفة المتين ويا راحم الساكين ويا أرحم الراحمين أنجزنا رحمة من عندك نسعد بها في الدنيا والآخرة أعوكم الله ونصركم الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وإنهان الفحشاء ومكر البغي يأيدكم لعلكم تذكرون أذكر الله العظيم يذكركم وشكرا لمن يذكركم ولا ذكر الله أكبر في الصلاة